Okay, hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Hey, Tim, were you uh, you know, one of those movie geeks that was uh, geeking hard over the Killers of the Flower Moon trailer this week? I was not. <laughs> Although I, I like Martin Scorsese, but yeah, I wasn't wasn't geeking hard over that you you aren't like you know waiting to book your tickets for that four hour epic in october <laughs> i'm good is it streaming is it like the irishman is it gonna stream too yeah it is on apple isn't it yeah it's gonna be on apple but it's gonna do a theatrical run too yeah like the irishman the irishman did it i saw the irishman at the bookshelf oh did you yeah was it a better experience in the theater uh, I don't know. Uh, I, it was a uh, it was an enjoyable experience. It was a good set. Yeah. Um, I I didn't feel the length of it in the theater, which is good. Uh, I mean, he, if if Killers of the Flower Moon does end up being four hours long, that <laughs> that may be a little bit different. I barely made it to the end of Babylon, but uh, yeah, which was three and twenty, I think. But yeah, yeah. At home, you can bathroom breaks, get some snacks. That's right. That's right. Maybe they'll have an intermission. I don't know. Let's bring back intermissions. Anyway. Yeah. Well, when I saw Hateful Eight, it had an inter- intermission. That was pretty cool. You're right. It should. Yeah. yeah. Bring back bring back intermissions. Okay. Give people programs. And- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> have a live orchestra in the pit. They should, uh, yeah. Let's go, let's go all the way back to the 1920s. So what Babylon should have done. They should have had a live orchestra. You're right, it is set in the 1920s. All right, any credits as a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new true tech story and thriller, Tetris, which you can now stream on Apple TV+. That's going to be in the back half of the show for the first half in honor of fast x which is in theaters now and which we didn't choose to review this week but um also in honor of tetris <laughs> i think adam wanted to <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know i wasn't bowled over by fast eight or nine but that's okay um but also in honor of tetris because it does have a car chase at the end um we are going to talk about some of our favorite car chases uh a movie staple um uh, Going all the way back to those the twenties, I I I didn't look up when was the first movie car chase. Hold Maybe on, like man. Keystone Cops or something. Maybe in a little first movie car. car chase. You can tell that we really do our research here. Car chase. There's a Wikipedia page dedicated to car chase. Although car chases on film were staged as early as the motor vehicle itself. One of the earliest examples being Runaway Match, directed by Alf Collins in 1903. The consensus among historians and film critics that the first modern car chase movie was 1968's Bullet. So, mm-hmm. well, that's quite a gap. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... there there were a lot of probably car chases, like a lot of those gangsters with the Tommy guns hanging out the car, and yeah, in Chicago and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm sh- sure, those had a lot of good car chases. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a Runaway Match. Here's the description. Um, it's it's called Runaway Match or Marriage by Motor. A short, silent film consisting of nine shots. It may be the first auto-centered narrative film. 
and the first car chase. A couple elope by car. The woman's wealthy father gives chase, but his limousine breaks down. <laughs> when he arrives too late to prevent the marriage, he becomes recon- he becomes reconciled to his new son-in-law. Well, spoiler alert, but um, wow. anyway, yeah. I can't see it now that you spoiled the ending. <laughs> I know. Spoiler alert. Wait, how long is it? How long is it? <laughs> it's five minutes 30 long. 30 minutes, five minutes. Okay. No, it's five minutes long. Nice. It's mm-hmm. a good length. Uh, well, I mean, the narrative's not that complicated, but, uh, anyway, let's get into our car chases. So Tim, start us off with your first car chase. Yeah. My first car chase is from drive Mm -hmm. 2011. Um, time's flying. I'm like, oh, this is a recent movie, but a movie from about (laughs) 12 years ago. That's right. Uh, but it made an impression on me. I love that movie. I thought it was the best movie of that year that I saw. And it has an amazing opening credits car chase, which mm-hmm. I think sets the tone for the whole movie. Um, we meet the driver played by Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. uh, early on, and he's having a telephone conversation in his apartment and just great atmosphere. It's at night in Los Angeles. It's having this conversation on the phone, spelling out the rules for what he does as a getaway driver. Mm-hmm. There's this light pulsating music playing over over top of it. Um, that's really cool and really adds to the atmosphere. And he says on the phone, there's 100,000 streets in the city. You don't need to know the route. You give me a time and place. I'll give you a five-minute window. <laughs> a- anything happens in five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. Anything out a minute either side of that, and you're on your own. <laughs> do you understand he's like you get five minutes and that's it that's right and it's so specific in its details there's a basketball game going on between the los angeles clippers and i actually rewatched it and the toronto raptors are playing the clippers <laughs> are playing the raptors uh at the staples center in los angeles and uh we follow gosling from his apartment to to pick up a car from the mechanic played by brian cranston Mm-hmm. And Cranston says, this is a Chevy Impala, the most popular car in California. You're not going to stick out at all. No one's going to notice you. Um, no one will be looking at you. So we follow Gosling from picking up the car to listening to the basketball game on the radio. Mm-hmm. And then we watch as he parks outside and you can tell there's a robbery taking place. And he's the getaway driver parked outside, takes his watch off. Sets the timer on his watch, puts it on a steering wheel. So presumably <laughs> for those five minutes that the uh, robbers have to get to his car. Mm-hmm. And it's just all the details and the sound. You, you've got that light pulsating like techno music over top of it. But you also have the police radar that he's listening to on his walkie talkie. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear the shots fired at the robbery location. And then at that point, he turns up the radio to hear the the police radar, but he also turns up the basketball game to find out more about what's going on in the basketball game. (laughs) And you can hear the announcers in the basketball game. They're all excited. They're uh, Los Angeles Clippers announcers saying, yeah, Clippers are going to win the game. This is amazing. And then um, you hear the alarm go off at the robbery location. And then one of the robbers run runs out and Gosling just really calmly opens the back door. The robber gets in, he's masked, he's bag of presumably money or stolen goods of some kind. And then they, they have to wait for that second robber to get to the car. 
mm-hmm. and you can hear the time ticking <laughs> and the robber's like where is like where is his partner in crime where is he and he just narrowly gets <laughs> to the car in time and then gosling drives away and then what's really cool is he has been identified by the police. You can hear that on the radar, the Chevy silver Chevy Impala. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it doesn't become like a, cha- a standard chase scene where the cops are chasing, chasing the Impala throughout the streets. It's more him hiding from the police. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever he sees the police or he hears on the radar that they're on, on his tail goes into like an alleyway, like a unlit alleyway and waits waits for the police to drive by and then he then he makes his move mm-hmm. and for most of the it's not even really a chase in a lot of senses like a standard chase he's doing the speed limit <laughs> obeying traffic laws for most of it until those odd moments where the, the police see him so he's at like a stoplight and there's a police officer across from him at the other stoplight and he can hear on the radar that the officers identified him but he stays there. He stays at the stoplight. He doesn't. But then once the cop starts driving towards him, he just takes off like a bullet. And mm-hmm. that's where you see a lot of the great action, uh, him dipping in and out. But then it goes to him, you know, driving to another dimly lit alleyway, you know, to escape detection from the police. So it's very stealthy. It's really cool. It really fits with the vibe of the film. Mm-hmm. And it's great that it's at the opening of the film because it, sort of the melancholy music, you know, his, his expression, his, his silence really sets a tone for the driver's silence really sets a tone for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the perfect getaway where he <laughs> drives in. He can, he can tell from the radio, the game's just ending clippers of one. So everyone must be going to the parking lot and he drives into the p- busy parking lot, just parks the car undetected from the police gets out, puts on a clippers, clippers hat like he's a fan and just walks out undetected and it's just so cool Mm -hmm. and then from there it follows him back to his apartment you hear the music you see the los angeles at night great depiction of los angeles in the film as well Mm -hmm. and i think it's just a great car chase because it doesn't like meet your expectations of oh this is going to be you know the police chasing the bad guy or the good guy through the streets it's more of a really subtle chase that really fits with the sort of melancholy understated nature of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely recommend drive in general, just an amazing film. And if you, if you only have maybe 12 minutes, watch the opening credit sequence again, cause it's so cool. Uh, yeah, most definitely. That's uh that's a great pick. Um, and yeah, the style in that is great. And Gosling's great. Just so cool. Um, also, very easy to find if you want to stream it. It's on Prime, Stars, and Paramount Plus. So, um, yeah, easy to find. Uh, my first pick is the Sugarland Express, which is not what you might conventionally think of as a car chase movie. It's uh, it's <laughs> although the the entire movie is essentially one long car chase, um, but it, it's not an action movie. It's uh, a movie. It's based on a true story. Uh, this woman named Lou Jean, played by Goldie Hawn, she breaks her. I don't know if he's her husband or her common law husband, um, Clovis, um, played by William Atherton. He's basically in like minimum 
security. Uh, there's this kind of like family day at the minimum security prison. So she goes, breaks him out. They get into a nice couple's car. Um, and then just by sheer coincidence, a police officer pulls the old couple over because they're driving like at 25 miles per hour on the highway. Um, <laughs> they're driving below the speed limit, ironically. But uh, Lugene and Clovis think they're blown. So they steal the couple's car, which leads them, uh, the police officer, I think he's Highway Patrol in the movie, um, but his name's Officer Slack. Officer Slack chase them. It ends with uh, Lugene and Clovis going off the road. And when uh, Slack looks to, to make sure they're okay, he ends up getting taken hostage. They end up taking his patrol car and thus starts like this, like cross state car chase Lugene and Clovis are trying to get to their son who's like in foster care and he's about to be adopted and you know so they're Lugene's like trying to get to them get cuss get the get the kid take the kid and then race to Mexico so they can live happily ever after um and this ends up in this like lengthy slow moving pursuit because the the captain the um in, in an un, in act of unmitigated self-control for a Texas police officer, he's just like <laughs> trying to avoid like a, a violent confrontation, even though he has officers who want to um, take them out. But yeah, the entire movie is one long, slow car chase where you see this car with the couple and the police officer. The police officer eventually like, you know, they become friendly. And uh, so he's not so much the hostage as kind of like a, tag along by the time he gets to the end um you see the the car and then you see this line after line after line of police cars and then behind those there's like the press and then eventually it gets to the point where like regular folk are like <laughs> going along <laughs> so um it is a technically a chase it's cars pursuing another car but it, it's kind of also kind of a parade which is which is interesting it, it's this very involving, very kind of human story of um, just, you know, it, it's a journey. It really is a journey, but it is also a car chase. It's just this bizarre little thing. And it's Spiel Steven Spielberg, technically his first feature. Um, but, oh boy, can you, like, is this guy, like, no first film should be this good. Like, from the moment where it's like this, like, the, the opening shot is like, has nothing to do with the car chase but this opening shot is this like sort of sweeping shot of this country road where a bus pulls up and goldie hahn gets off and it's just gently moving in on her past this like car wreck at the side of the road somebody's like tooling around with and it's like magic hour so everything's like lit and, like this beautiful golden light it's it makes me sick that this is his first film, but it's... <laughs> well, he had a lot of experience before with like TV films and true, true. Yeah. But it's just you know, like the talent on screen is ridiculous. But um, it, it is it is a great sort of like slow moving car chase film um, that does occasionally have real tension because there are like like reserve officers who are trying to get Goldie Hawn and William Atherton and uh, don't care how they do it and. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's very, it's very engaging. It's essentially a movie long car chase, although it's like the slowest burn car chase you'll ever see. Yeah. And that's when Spielberg was sort of obsessed with cars because he did duel and then he did yeah. Sugarland express. Yeah. That's he's right. more of a car chase director for a few years there. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was a boat chase director, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's get to your number two. Uh, number two on my list 
is one of the most acclaimed car chases. It's from the French Connection mm-hmm. by William Friedkin. Um, it's a really cool scene in Brooklyn, New York. Um, Detective Popeye Doyle, played by Gene Hackman. Great name, too. Yeah. <laughs> is <laughs> He's uh, desperately running after Charnier, played by Fernando Ray, mm-hmm. who's a drug dealer and involved in this whole French drug scheme that um, uh, Detective Doyle is going after. And uh, and he starts chasing uh, Charnier, and Charnier ends up on an above-ground train in <laughs> Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And Popeye Doyle um, is running under the train in the street, and he goes goes up to a car and says, I need your car. This is for police business. And he takes the car and then he races the train to try to catch up to the train underneath the tracks in the middle of the city in Brooklyn. Tons of near misses on head-on collisions, <laughs> cars everywhere. Um, there's one. And the, the cool thing, well, I don't know if this is that cool. It came out afterwards. William Freakin said that... There's only one bit of it that was staged when Doyle almost hits a mother with her baby carriage. Mm-hmm. Everything else they shot guerrilla style mm-hmm. without permits in the streets of Brooklyn with this um, just super stunt driver, Bill Hickman, mm-hmm. his name was, um, who was the stunt driver of the day. Mm-hmm. Apparently, William Friedkin. Uh, was just sort of like poking him, just sort of like, you're not that great a stunt driver. <laughs> you're not that great. And so Will, this Bill Hickman invited uh, William Freakin into the front seat of the car. Mm-hmm. And then he drove over 90 miles an hour, over 100 miles an hour at certain points through like 20 blocks or something of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of uh, Brooklyn. And just near head-on collision after near head-on collision. (laughs) And the cool thing in the, in the plot of the movie is the Charnier, he has a gun, he's on Mm -hmm. the above ground train. And so he, a police officer knows, knows who he is and says, stop. And he uh, shoots him. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, Charnier goes in takes the conductor hostage and says, you, you can't stop this train. You can't stop this train at the next stop. Well, Popeye Doyle thinks it's going to stop at the next stop. So he drives like a maniac through, knows when the next stop's going to be there. He gets out of his car, looks up, train keeps going. Mm-hmm. He's like flabbergasted. Why is this still going? He has to jump back in his car, keeps racing. <laughs> and eventually, um, eventually, yeah, the um, Charnier's confronted by pass- more passengers on the train. He shoots one of them. He knows like he can't get caught or he's in prison for life. Mm-hmm. So he's just a really desperate man. And then uh, the conductor passes out. The train ends up hitting the back of another train. Charnier's shaken up, runs out of the train. Papa Doyle has caught up to him and says, stop, you know, as he sees him running up the stairs mm-hmm. and Charnier does stop for a moment. And then something that like sort of the whole anti-hero thing with Popeye Doyle in a moment that's a lot of people point to in the film is that Charnier starts running away and Popeye Doyle shoots him in the back. 
Mm-hmm. He just shoots him in the back right there. He doesn't, you know, he just wants to get his, get his man no matter how he has to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of like that dirty Harry style that you'd see in the 70s as well. Mm-hmm. Popeye Doyle's like that, bends the rules to get to get the criminal. But uh, it's just amazing the the uh, footage of the car chase. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Bill Hickman just reckless. Apparently, <laughs> Freakin had a camera mounted on the front of the car, and he also operated a camera next to Hickman's shoulder. I think Freakin himself did that. Mm-hmm. And the another interesting fact is the train to get. Um, to get the permission from the transit authority, William Freakin bribed. Uh, <laughs> of course he did. He bribed someone at the transit authority <laughs> who was in charge of the trains, $40,000 and a one-way ticket to Jamaica to <laughs> get access to that train. It's a good, good bribe. Not bad bribe. Yeah. yeah so uh, that's how they used to make movies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is before CGI. Mm-hmm. You know, this was just guerrilla style, which... In retrospect, I think Freakin actually regretted it. I read an interview where he regretted doing all that, but got the job oh. done in, in the day. And it is one of the most exciting train or tra- train and car chases you'll see uh, in the French Connection. It, it's also before WhatsApp when someone would have surely reported Freakin for bribing people to <laughs> use subway cars recklessly in the <laughs> middle of Brooklyn. Um, my next one is from almost the same era and it's one we already mentioned it's bullet um so i had chosen this before um i had read that little bit of history there but it is hard to make a list of car chase uh movies without putting bullet on here because the chart the car chase is what makes it because bullet is actually like a pretty road kind of like standard police procedural um it's it's about this guy johnny rose who comes to san francisco to testify in a senate hearing about organized crime in chicago he's basically on the run um the the chicago mob's trying to kill him uh this guy chalmers it's not exactly explained like what chalmers job is like is he a senator or is he like some functionary in the justice department or something but he goes to san francisco pd lieutenant bullet and says like you got to protect this guy till monday um and he's got to be you know in the hearing on monday to testify about all the organized crime in chicago uh obviously things go wrong uh the witness is killed so that leaves bullet basically a day to find out what happened and in the middle of tracking there's there's a couple of chases here number one he's uh bullet is following the trail of this guy when he arrived in san francisco he's trying to find out like who could have tipped who off about where he was and then he goes back. He notices he's being followed by the two hitmen and leads them on a chase through San Francisco until he loses them. And then he double backs around and he's following them now. And this leads to this incredible car chase through much of like the most famous areas of San Francisco, like the Castro and all these hilly areas by the bay and then out onto uh, the highway and down the road until it eventually ends in this like fiery like almost apocalyptic car crash (laughs) where uh the two hitmen like crash and literally burn and it's like right in the middle of the movie and like i said it's like this like kind of standard issue like law and order style police procedural where he's like following the clues and trying to get to the bottom of the case and then out of nowhere 
you know, they're driving recklessly around the city of San Francisco, which um, at the time, and I, and I guess that's why the um, the old wiki points this out, um, Bullet was kind of remarkable because it was it had that veneer of realism. It was shot on this shot entirely on location in San Francisco, but not on a back lot using real locations. Uh, Steve McQueen was driving the charger much of the time. And yeah, it, it, it's just this remarkable. It's it's this kind of like evolutionary leap in the uh, in, in the idea of the car chase that uh, starts getting gritty, starts getting real. And I guess uh, Friedkin kind of takes it to the extreme by <laughs> putting it in Brooklyn in the middle of New York traffic uh, and involving a train. And um, I mean, you could tell that they probably cleared some streets as they were filming the car chase uh, in Bullet. Um, there was some choreography going on. That's not the case when you watch the French Connection. It's very clearly, you know, free. Chaos. <laughs> yeah. It's very clearly Friedkin-esque chaos, which I think is is you know uh, a, a legit filmmaking term. But uh, yeah, you can't have a list without Bullet. It, it like that chase makes this movie, and uh, the Lalo Schifrin score kicks in. It it is. It is a white knuckle ride still to this day, 55 years later, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 55th anniversary of Bullet. Check it out. <laughs> the, big right. five five. the big 5-5. The big 5-5. That's right. It's <laughs> it's Freedom 55. It can retire early. Yeah. Uh, but, Tim, let's get to your number three. Well, my number three is the same as the one you just mentioned. So, oh, you yeah? said no list can be complete without Bullet. That's um, right. Yeah, Bullet. I watched a lot when I was when I was a kid. I watched it a lot, so I've seen the movie like maybe two or three times all the way through. But I've watched the car chase probably like a dozen times. So <laughs> yeah, um, it does stand out. Uh, not a lot to add on what you've said, but I w will say that Steve McQueen. Yeah, he did do most of the driving, mm -hmm. apparently, except for the most dangerous stuff. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted people to know he was driving because there's one point where he sticks his head out the window. Mm -hmm. And he knew they would have to use that. And mm -hmm. he, so it would show that he was actually driving. That's right. And one of the reasons he signed up is he loves fast. He loved fast cars and, and, and driving. So he want, that's why he signed up for the project. And he actually worked with the stunt driver, Bill Hickman, once again, mm -hmm. who was in French connection. That's right. And actually in bullet, Bill Hickman has screen time because he's the bespectacled man with the gloves who's driving yeah. the car that's He's chasing after the other Steve car. McQueen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And apparently Steve McQueen and him spent like two weeks before filming at like a racetrack, racing cars 100 miles an hour around the track and chasing after each other to, to prepare for it. So um, it's, it's a really, really good movie, like you said, a really good police procedural. But I think uh, Steve McQueen's biggest draw for getting in it was fast cars. So he... Uh, he uh, enjoyed that. And like you said, in San Francisco, mm. just the up and down action. Apparently, some people in the theater were sick at the time watching it because it's <laughs> the hilly nature of it, right? Like, if you have any motion sickness. now Nowadays, that might be kind of laughable given all the stuff we see in films. But I imagine at the time, and it's very realistic, too, like you said. Um, the hills are what make it, though. The, like, the, the scene where... Uh, the hitmen lose him and then they're driving down the street and they look in the rearview mirror and then you see the charger just coming up over the hill and and you know it's on that it's you know yeah. it's if it was like 
Cleveland or somewhere flat. And that just doesn't work the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, these, these films, like all, all three of the ones I picked and like what you're picking too, like Los Angeles, New York, Brooklyn, and San Francisco, they're real showcase for the cities, mm-hmm. which is interesting, which is interesting. Yeah. It's not just like, like Cleveland nondescript where you're like, Oh, this is a big city. We've, not a lot of people live here anymore, so we can go through these streets. It's more like let's showcase the cities, yeah, which which is really, really cool. Yeah, and and my last pick kind of does that. Although uh, it also gave me a chance to sort of squeeze in uh, a Fast and Furious movie onto the list. Um, I my last pick is Fast Five, the the climactic sequence where Dom and Brian steal the safe uh, from the the police headquarters if you don't know the plot of fast five uh there's this uh criminal kingpin named reyes who pretty much runs all of brazil uh all of or maybe not all of brazil but all of rio rio is ultra crooked um (laughs) it's the entire police force under thumb except for one officer of course and uh he's keeping all his ill-gotten money in a big safe in the basement of the police station so Dom and Brian break in, they rip the safe out of the wall, and then they chase through the streets of Rio, um, pulling the safe behind them as the cops and the criminals are all chasing them. Uh, basically, uh, they're they're dragging a big wrecking ball around, so like transit stops get smoked, the front of buildings get smoked as, as they're trying to evade. Um, it is a great sort of chase it's it's this is a bit this is kind of the sweet spot for the franchise because it's still it's still got that hint of like we're, we're criminals and we're we're doing crime stuff because you know they're ripping off a, a granted it's another criminal but they're still stealing um but it's also got this great over-the-top action that the franchise would you know continue to triple quadruple quintuple and i haven't seen 10 yet so i imagine there's a septuple down um in terms of the action um i have seen a couple clips so i i think i I think i am correct of what i speak but yeah it's it's the last i guess kind of sweet spot between that original movie which is about street racers stealing vcr dvd combos and the (laughs) the one where they're now like driving down the hoover dam and uh you know running away from explosions in rome and yeah it's fat the fast and furious movies will never will never find that that sweet spot again although there's maybe one or two left if you i mean vin diesel's always got another fast and furious up his sleeve so you know yeah (laughs) i i have a confession You've never seen a Fast and Furious movie? No, except on TV I watched most of one once. So <laughs> I am, yeah. So I was thinking I should just watch them all in a marathon. Uh, I think I <laughs> I think that's like that's like gearhead overdose. I think you could probably <laughs> watch them like a couple at a time. Um you know, you might need a break after a couple of them. Like they're just like they get so huge near the end. Um, it's it's kind of exhausting. But anyway, uh, it's it's the series is worth checking out. I think it's it's good, dumb, fun, and 
you know, what more what I need more of. I just need more good, dumb fun. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't think we can categorize Tetris as that, though. I think we can probably both agree that it is fun. We are going to review Tetris after the break. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Both lines disappear at once instead of one at a time. Uh, because uh, I never thought of that. <laughs> we should allow up to four lines to disappear at once. We should? What? Yeah. Give it a try. No harm. And that was a clip from Tetris. It's the new film from John S. Baird, and it stars Taryn Edgerton. Nikita Yemfremov, Sofia Lambedeva, Anthony Boyle, Ben Miles, Ken Yamamura, Roger Allum, and Toby Jones. So, uh, this comes from the director of Stan and Ollie. Did you know that? I didn't. Kind of yeah. makes sense, or like the slice of life sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right term, but yeah. Very specific. Um, yeah, it's about specific yeah. period of time. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. Um, so it's the secret. I don't know if it's the secret history of Tetris. I guess a lot of people know about the how how Tetris was developed and how it became this like worldwide video game phenomenon. But I mean, I admit I didn't know a lot about this history. Um, I find it interesting. It, it's it's kind of of a piece of a lot of these film. I'm going to say film projects, although not all of them are films, but. Uh, of sort of like reconsiderations of the Cold War and how the Cold War collapsed and how the Soviet Union collapsed. So I'm thinking of like the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Um, there was that documentary Chuck Norris versus communism, which was about how people would sneak in Chuck Norris tapes into the into Soviet bloc countries. Uh, even Atomic Blonde to a certain extent, although it's not really a, a geopolitical thriller. It's just watching Charlie's there on beat up people for two hours. But yeah. um, anyway, Tetris, what did you think of Tetris? I liked it. I thought it was interesting history, but presented in a very entertaining way. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we've seen a lot of like follow the Soviet union, follow the Eastern Bloc films that I think sometimes aren't quite as entertaining as this. And I think given the whole <laughs> video game uh, aspect to it, 
Um, like you said, it's a lot of fun. Like in the mm. opening credits, they have a lot of references to the video game graphics. And uh, I, I like Tetris too, because I'm not a big video game player, but you know, that's one that I've played a number of times. So I mm-hmm. could, uh, could understand that. And I could understand how addictive it is. And the fact that you think, oh, it's just one little small video game. Why? What's the importance of it? But they, mm. so, so I really liked the whole business aspect and the competition. So many of these companies knew they were sort of like sitting on a gold mine here with with Tetris, and mm. uh, and it sh- and it does a good job showing like like how it was as you know capitalists to deal with the Soviet Union at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Given KGB were still in control, uh, but you know it was things were rapidly changing there. Um, the fact that you had to do all these separate pitches to 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 uh, to the KGB basically to uh, do business there, um, all the complications, and mm-hmm. I think uh, yeah, following. I thought it was really cool, like you said in the cast list, that they did uh, cast so many, uh, you know, Russians. I think in the cast, I'd have to mm-hmm. look up and see if they're all Russian. But yeah, there um, were a lot of Russian actors. For sure. Yeah, the fact that it, real authenticity to it, I think yeah. in that case, um, I think there's some controversy in that. Uh, Taron Edgerton is playing the lead because, um, yeah, that person in real life uh, is part indonesian and yeah I, and when he does say that in the in the cab or what i or when he's being driven somewhere he says i'm part indonesian it doesn't it does ring false but <laughs> other than that he does a does he, does a he good, also grew up job. in hawaii and taron edgerton does not look like he grew up in hawaii <laughs> no no <laughs> and i think he i think taron edgerton does a good job but he's very good yeah yeah he does annoy me a little bit in certain aspects because it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm playing this happy-go-lucky guy, so here's how I play it, and and yeah, I think they could have used a different actor in there, probably had the same result or even better result. Um, but I, he does a good job, and I thought, yeah, really, really interesting seeing Tetris. Like it starts off with him, Hank Rogers, at this Las Vegas Technology Expo. Yep, with like a this game electronic show, yeah, yeah, game he's designed Go based on the Chinese, <laughs> like the impossible Chinese game Go, right? And he's can't believe that didn't catch on. <laughs> yeah, so he's actually a designer, which I thought was cool too. That his character is in business, but he's an actual creative person as well, and a design, uh, game designer. So mm-hmm. in that respect, he can, uh, he he, he can you know be friends with the uh game the russian game designer and we can he feels empathy for him and and you know you've created such a great game here mm-hmm. you should come come to the states and you know you're st- stuck here in the in the in this political climate yeah so i like that i thought i i think it's really good entertaining film uh yeah yeah, Not a it, lot, nothing too deep to it though. But <laughs> no, it's, and I, I think that's to the detriment because I I think you, you you've hit on to something about the 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 Hank Rogers character, which is just like I'm not. I'm not sure how we're supposed to take him and the movie doesn't seem sure about how we're supposed to take him. Like, is he like kind of a huckster? Is he kind of like a, 
P.T. Barnum figure where he's like always got like a deal half done when he realizes um, he's got nothing. Um, is he like a, this kind of like idealist, this computer programmer? Like, does he genuinely love Tetris um, and, and is, is promoting it or is he just seeing the dollar signs? I think that's a bit wishy-washy. Also, I think he's a little... This may be true to the character. I think he's like a little naive in in the film. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah, I'll just go to Russia on a tourist visa and do business. Like, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, and then he's getting threatened so much, and you're like, if this happened in real life, I think he would he wouldn't be so out there. So like, like the KGB agent literally takes his jeans like right off him (laughs) in the middle of you know downtown Russia and this doesn't deter him and i guess maybe like maybe the film's implying that he was just like in too deep at that point to stop but um i i know that if i were in russia and the kgb took my jeans uh i would be on the next flight out but um <laughs> yeah i mean but it, it's not just the rogers like the the toby jones character roger stein like i i like I'm not sure what his stake was in this either, except that you know he I guess he saw the dollar signs, and, but I didn't feel that character was developed great. Um, and like the whole thing with Robert Maxwell, it's I got the Kevin Maxwell character, like he's trying to come out of his father's shadow. But I, you know, first of all, you hire Roger Allen to to play a part. You're gonna let him, you know, play it big and be impressive and scary and. And all of that. So I understand that you get Roger Allen, you want to let him capital A act, but um, having Robert Maxwell in this, in like kind of like such an outsized role as kind of like the villain, um, it, it, it reminded me of like in, what was that show? Uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson. David Schwimmer played Robert Kardashian. And who was was like a minor player on the legal team, but the, 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 mini, the miniseries made him a bigger player because of who his daughters went on to be ended up being yeah yeah so and i felt like that's the same here it's like robert maxwell well you you know you know what his super villain origin story is you know jacqueline maxwell is his daughter Mm, very mysterious but um so i mean that that part of it seemed like a bit off especially since like the geopolitical stuff like the back dealing and the the bribes and like the the kgb agent who's played by igor grabuzov um, where he's like, look, look, dude, the Soviet Union's dying. Everyone's breaking off a piece, and you know, I'm I'm getting mine too. It's like that stuff. That stuff is fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. the whole thing of like going into the going into the what was it called? The E log. Uh, e log was the yeah name of their company or the fake yeah, name. It's, um, I think it. Well, I think what it was is like the the it was like the Soviet Ministry of like Technology. Mm-hmm. And because you know everything you do is owned by the state, you have to go in and deal with like their ministry. I guess would be the equivalent of like the Canadian Ministry of Science and and Tech and Innovation. Um, so you know that was, <laughs> and just watching that poor guy um, <laughs> go from room to room, go from like Kevin Maxwell to <laughs> Robert Stein to uh, yeah. Hank Rogers, and just like going back and forth. I mean, the, the original sin of all this too is just like. Robert Stein apparently didn't know how to write or read a contract. (laughs) (laughs) I have all the rights. Oh, look here. (laughs) It's paragraph explains what a computer is or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. And I mean, it does make you wonder how much of this is true. I I did read um, 
a comment from uh, Alexei Pachetnov, who is the the creator of Tetris, uh, say that you know the film was, you know, spiritually, you know, emotionally true. Um, notice he didn't say factually true, so I, I guess yeah. there there is a degree of sort of emotional truth in it. Um, that you know he he and Hank did go on to become business partners and friends, um, but. I, I think this is what this is. This is one of those where um, they've printed the legend, and I'm actually kind of okay with that because it, it was so entertaining to watch. Yeah, I, I read a quote by him as well, and he was saying, "Yeah, that like it's, yeah, like you're saying it. It fits with how they were feeling and how things th- things happen, but it wasn't like 100% historically accurate." And then they put the Hollywood flourishes on there, including the car chase, mm-hmm. which fits with what we spoke about earlier. There's a car chase near the end of the film, which he's, he says, yeah, that was Hollywood, right? There was no car <laughs> <Yeah>. chase. <laughs> There's no race to the airport or ever. And, the and, but the car chase is cool. It fits with what we were talking about before with the, I think we have, we talked off air about this. We have mixed feelings, but I, yeah, I I did like the uh, video game graphics that are incorporated into the car trade car chase. I know it's maybe a bit too cute, but I yeah. enjoyed it. Made it a bit different, so made it stand out a little bit. Um, yeah, it's 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 a little cute. Um, the other thing that kind of irked me is like using the Tetris music and the in the chase music. So like that. I mean, you, you don't need to bash me over the head with it. <laughs> but it's um because I again I think the story stand stands on its own. One of the things I did appreciate though is that it didn't, you know, drown us in um eighties, you know, mic drop or uh, needle drop. Like air did, it's, right? Yeah, like there like there's I think they played um a Russian version of Heart of Glass. Yeah. Which I, I enjoyed and, and Best use of the final countdown since Arrested Development, but uh, uh, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. like I, I that wasn't I, I didn't I wasn't like pulling my hair out, like going like I can I I have a hits of the eighty CD I can put it on right now. <laughs> well, but, they did do Russian versions too, which makes it yeah, different, which, right? Which like makes it a little holding weird. out for a hero. I think they did too. That was a good Heart yeah. That was a good one in yeah. Russian. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, some of those were good. Um, but just like when it, when it does get egregious is with like a lot of that eight bit, which, you know, it, it's, it's meant to look like eight bit, but it looks way better than eight bit looks <laughs> in, in, in comparison. And, you know, the, the, again, the use of the Tetris music and the chase sequence, it's, it, I, I just, it's like, it's like something you say in the pitch, you know, it just, it, I, I, you normally, I like the music of, um, oh, what was the composer's name? uh lauren bamf but uh yeah it, it just it, it kind of hit you over the head with <laughs> with that which i get small quibbles uh otherwise but you, yeah you and know, they play I, opportunities by pet shop boys over the end yeah. credits and it's fit it's fitting it's yeah really on the nose but like that's what happened is they became partners right hank rogers and that one didn't we're bother pronounce me his name much. right yeah yeah. That one didn't bother me as much. So you've got the looks. I've got the smarts. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> and I like Hank Rogers was like the looks, right? With Taryn Edgerton playing them. And... 
that's right <laughs> no that's 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 perfectly uh, perfectly sums it up but yeah it, it's you know i we, we kind of have this thing right now right with the brand movies where we have yeah. we've had air we've had tetris you know peter and i did blackberry last week mm-hmm. um i i I feel kind of good placing this between Air and and BlackBerry. Like BlackBerry, I think it's the best one of these, and I think it mm-hmm. that it has nothing to do with the product, but it has everything to do with like the the Icarus story of BlackBerry. That you know, it flew too close to the sun, and you know, mm-hmm. it, it there are no well, there's still a BlackBerry company, but there are no BlackBerry devices anymore. Um, te- Tetris kind of gets that too. I mean, yeah, Tetris was a huge video game. It practically made the Game Boy. As as Hank Rogers says in the movie, but you know it's you know now it's on every phone. It's you can get a hundred and ten different versions of Tetris as well, and um, yeah, it's it's I, I think I think it, it it just if we're going to focus on if we're going to keep making cranking out these products, <laughs> these movies about products, yeah, if you you know focusing on the human element of it. Yeah um it is kind of what makes it work like what makes like what made these characters want to chase oh i should shouldn't say characters are real people but what made, what made these people want to chase these ideas and and you know what did they have to sacrifice to 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 get them you know the the air story nothing against air but the air story is basically like they lost a weekend preparing for a presentation <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I think well, in air they're trying to get at oh the whole company could go down or that whole division could get fired if they don't. Uh, it's get you them. know it's it's not the same as the KGB chasing you in a in a car chase <laughs> or not even yeah. that necessarily, but like you know somebody like Robert Maxwell, like he could have easily won those rights and could have saved his hide. Um, like he was like tapped out, he was on the verge of you know losing his company. He did lose his company in the end. Um. But like that, like he knew Gor- he knew Gorbachev, <laughs> and he could have he could have smushed Hank Rogers under his thumb. And I loved I loved the whole thing with Kevin Maxwell insisting that everyone call him Mister Maxwell. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, those those two characters I think were perfectly sort of cast. But um, you know, the, you 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 know what the stakes are. It's like yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Matt Damon and everybody at Nike would have been fine if yeah. they didn't get the Michael Jordan yeah. deal. But you know, especially it, Matt Damon. You know, but you know, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but Hank Rogers could have been found in a ditch somewhere with no finger t- with no fingerprints to identify him. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And well, one thing about um, the one thing about Tetris is there are those cliches, right? Sure. Which it's he misses his daughter's recital. Mm-hmm. And then okay, he recreates it at the end, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I I get it, and that's that's where they try to get the human element, and I think sometimes yeah. it's just cliches, and it's almost like, yeah, this movie, it's almost like okay, this movie's on is streaming on Apple Plus, and this is a type of movie, this is a streamer kind of movie, right? Where it's yeah. got he doesn't get into that emotional depth or as much, right? And I agree that this could could use more, but it might have been jolting in a way because it, so much of it's played mm. to the stereotypes. Like mm-hmm. the lead character is just the happy-go-lucky optimist, and then Kevin is the 
you know, silver spoon. Yeah. Uh, you know, he got the company from his dad, spoiled brat who's, you know, and he plays it really well, but it's all sort of like mm -hmm. in, in these, um, in these boxes. Right. Well, but, I, you know, the thing about too, about the daughter is like, can you feel, you know, can you feel too sorry for her? She ended up in, I mean, this is what's interesting is that, you know, you, the, the villain is the Nepo baby, but at the end, the daughter inherits the, the Tetris company. Bit weird, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, can you believe this nepotistic d bag? Oh, and by the way, Taron Edgerton left his daughter the company. It's <laughs> and then they should have had like over the closing credits where she's like, "Call me Mrs. Rogers." <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been great. But it, yeah. it's um to wrap up it, it's it's a fun movie it's a it's uh you know i think everyone's doing doing good it's funny it's it, it is thrilling in parts it is an interesting story i mean it, it also fits into this mold of of throwing movies like steve jobs or the social network or the founder where it's about like there's some dark details behind like some of these like very successful ventures that you know maybe you don't appreciate it's like oh here's a happy smiling clown selling you a hamburger but you know the guy who runs the company screwed the founders out of all that money and yeah <laughs> here's this happy colorful game about falling blocks but they had to outsmart the kgb in order to bring it to your game boy <laughs> yeah yeah it's wild how this it's wild the history of a lot a lot of this for sure and uh even though so much of it's probably made up and it's like hollywood it, yeah at the core though they had to deal with russia before the fall of the soviet union and deal with all that yeah all and that. uh stay tuned because uh we will get the the true hollywood story about flaming hot doritos coming soon to your disney plus app that i think that flaming hot movie comes out next month so I'll so mark my calendar. Mark your calendar. It may be an upcoming review. <laughs> yeah, um, sounds but, good. But that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can listen to it again by finding it on your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can also find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com, or you can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean. As for the music that you hear on End Credits, you can find that playlist on Spotify. Just open up the app and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where else can people find you out there on the internet? You can find me flashing the deadpan on social media on the internet. But no Tetris talk. No Tetris, back. no, I don't. Brings back bad memories. It does, yeah. I was never that good at it, actually. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, Super Mario, that's fine. Super Mario is fine. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca and stay tuned for more great programming. Here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Like video game characters ourselves, we will be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we will see you then. <laughs>